and the covenant of God with us. And this morning I'm going to be discussing a topic that a lot of people don't really enjoy hearing about, but we're going to talk about money this morning. Because money is a part of all of our lives. And God is concerned about your money. God wants you to walk in blessing. The Bible said that money answers all things. That means that money is involved in everything. And God has a lot to say in his word about finances. And this morning, if you'll open your heart to hear what he has to say, I'm quite confident that he will teach you and instruct you in the way that you should go. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. I want to share with you this morning about the power to prosper. You know that God has given you the power to prosper. He's given that power to every single believer. And we're going to discuss that this morning. Father, we honor you. We give you thanks. We're so blessed to see these baptism candidates coming into their journey with Christ. We're blessed as well to be able to come and hear the word this morning. And I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach your word. And I ask that you would anoint this congregation that as they hear the word, they might receive it into the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Say this with me. It is the Lord that gives me the power to prosper. The 15th and 16th centuries were centuries of discovery. Columbus had uh, discovered this new world, as they called it, and the north and South American continents were being explored and discovered by the European nations. And during that period of time, a great many nations arose on the face of the earth, which had not existed in that particular format until then. Many of those nations were nations like Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, and even the United States. What we notice as you study history is that those nations that were built by settlers who were looking for gold, nations who were sent here to explore the natural resources and, and to mine the gold, are today nations that for the last 400 years have lived in considerable difficulty, in poverty and in corruption politically and often in misery. Yet this nation, the United States of America, was founded on quite a different principle. And those who came across the Atlantic in the, uh, in the settlements that were established, which would become the root and ground of this nation, were Puritans seeking not gold, but God. They came here looking for a place where they could worship God freely. And we discover in that that God never withholds his blessings from those who seek him. The United States of America has experienced the blessing of God and we can say as a nation that truly it is the Lord that gives us the power to prosper. America has prospered financially in its history 
It has seen God provide and supply a gross domestic product that has been able in many times to feed the rest of the world. America has prospered militarily and we have seen God give us victory on foreign battlefields in the defense of freedom. And we honor anyone in here this morning or listening online who is a member of the armed services and has served our country. Would you help me thank them this morning? America has succeeded and has seen God bless its military. God has also blessed our government. And we have experienced in this late nation, as flawed as our government may be, a government that is perhaps next to the theocracy of Israel, the greatest government ever conceived by man. God has caused us to prosper. And any nation and any family and any individual who will follow God will find that God will give them that power to prosper. But by the same token, any nation or family or individual that does not seek God, that does not put God first, America's future included, will find that those keys to prosperity are taken away. We find the nation of Israel before us this morning. In the book of Deuteronomy, God spoke powerfully about his desire to bless them. He said, I will give you houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, vineyards you didn't plant, and the taste of the grapes will be in your mouth. But by the end of the, book of, uh, by the, end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, we find a desperately different situation for the nation of Israel. If you take the time to study the book of Malachi, you will discover that in it God gives four reasons why that nation was not able to prosper. They had the blessing of God over their life. And yet there were things that were hindering the blessing and the prosperity of God over the nation of Israel by the close of the Old Testament. And these are things that you and I need to consider carefully today because they're still affecting every one of our lives. The Bible says these things about the nation of Israel toward the close of the Old Testament. It said they have sown much but harvested little. They eat but are never full. They have clothing but are never warm. They have wages but their wages are in purses with holes in them. Ever felt like that? Like everything that you had was not enough. That was the condition that they were in. And God calls them out in the book of Malachi and he gives them four reasons why they were in this state of ruin. The first reason was this. We find it in Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. God says, you have despised me. They said, Lord, how have we despised you? He said, you have despised me because you bring me sick offerings. You bring me blind sheep and lame cattle. You give to me what's left. You give me the scraps. Rather than put me first and give me the best, you give to me what's left. And friends, in that same era, God said to the nation of Israel, my house is in ruins while your house is being built up. So God takes it personally when people do not honor him with the best and with the first. Say amen, somebody. The second reason he said to them, he said in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, he said, you have wearied me. And they said, how have we wearied you? He said, because you have dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. Now this is a significant statement here because God is telling Israel, you are not prospering financially because husbands are not loving their wives. We find there that God is very particular and very, very uh, concerned about families. 
And when you and I want to walk in prosperity, we have to take deeply into consideration what God considers about our family. When a man takes a wife, he is saying to God, I am going to provide for her and meet her needs. And basically, I'll say it like this, God is your father-in-law. And God says, if you don't treat my little girl right, you're not going to prosper. I know that's hard for some guys to hear. But that's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. The scripture says that if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God says to any man that will not work to provide for his family, you have denied the faith. You don't know what this family is like. Because the Christian family takes care of itself. Say amen, somebody. 2 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4. It reads like this, but if any of you is a widow and has children or grandchildren, they must learn to practice piety toward their own family and to make a return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now God speaks to grown children, and he says to grown children, it is your responsibility to take care of your aging parents and not your aging parents' responsibility to take care of you. Now I know that we're living in a culture right now where people in their 30s and 40s have jobs and children and houses and homes, and yet they're living off of mom and dad at the end of the month. And this is causing a problem because mom and dad can't prosper, and neither do they. God says if you are an adult and you have the capacity to work, then you ought to provide for your own family and make a return to your parents rather than cause your parents to have to make a return to you. Now, I already knew I wasn't going to get too many amens this morning, so I prepared myself shouting amen all morning because I knew it's going to be quiet in here. All right, I already amened myself. Don't worry about it. You say, Pastor, this is stiff stuff. I didn't write it. God wrote it. My job is to deliver the message. And until grown men and women start taking responsibility for their own finances, we will be able to turn this thing around in our country. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. The Lord said to them, you have been arrogant against me. They said, how have we been arrogant against you? He said, because you have said it is in vain to serve the Lord. And what profit is there in serving God? Now God calls out Israel for the sin of ingratitude. He says to them, you have spoken arrogantly and pridefully against me. Saying, what good is it to go to church? What good is it to tithe or give offerings? It doesn't seem to work out on my behalf. But friend, when you see the goodness of God and you turn that around and you realize that every good and perfect gift that is in your life has come from God, the natural response is gratitude and praise to the God who gave it. Somebody say amen. amen. And then finally in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he said, you have robbed me. And they said, how have we robbed you, God? And he said, because you have robbed me in your tithes and in your offerings. And so we see here that God brings to the nation of Israel the reasons why they were not able to prosper. And any family or nation that disregards these instructions from God will find itself in financial and spiritual ruin. The Bible says in the text which we have read this morning, it is the Lord who gives you the power to get wealth. What is wealth? Wealth basically and biblically defined is this. It is enough to meet all of your needs and have enough left over to bless others. How many of you would like to have some wealth? 
You know that God gives us in his word many examples of wealth. In, uh, in, Jer- in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2, the Bible said that Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And in Genesis 24, 1, the Bible said, Now Abraham was old and advanced in age, and the Lord blessed him in every way. How many of you would like to be old and advanced in age and still blessed in every way? Say amen. God said, that is the inheritance that I have for my children. Now, this happens to be one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. It says, Genesis 26, verse 12. Now, Isaac, that's why it's my favorite verse. It says, now, Isaac sowed in the land the same year and received a hundredfold return. And the Lord blessed him. Somebody say amen. And the man became rich and continuously grew richer until he became very wealthy. How many of you would like to be that, that, for, for that to be written over your life? God's not against wealth. He gives you the power to create wealth. God's not against wealth. What God is against is wealth having you. God's not against money. What he's against is money owning you. As long as you can live with an open hand toward God, God will not withhold his resources from your life. And so this morning I want to talk to you about the power to receive prosperity, the power to receive wealth. First of all, we understand this. We receive the power to prosper because we have received the word of God. And the word of God will prosper your soul. Every single time that you receive the word of God, your soul is being nourished and strengthened and prospered. And when your soul prospers, everything else in your life is going to flourish. The word of God is able to do things in your life that no other single force in nature can do. Listen, the Word of God can create things out of nothing in your life. The Bible says to speak of those things that be not as though they were. It gives us an understanding that the Word of God can create health where there is sickness. It can create provision where there is lack. The Word of God can create healing where there is disease. The Word of God can create prosperity where there is poverty. Come on, somebody. The Word of God can turn the situation around in your life. Thank God for His Word. That word which is able to cause our soul to prosper. And when you will will apply the word of God to your finances, when you apply the word of God to your money, you will see the prosperity of God in your life. The Lord gives us the power to prosper because it is the Lord that gives us skills and ability. Listen, God has gifted you. We don't all have the same gifts, but we all have gifts. And your gifts are God's uh, gift in your life so that you can provide for your family and receive the things in your life that you want. The gifts of God are so amazing that they are unique in every one of our lives. And because we don't all have the same gift, we're able to mutually bless one another. My gift is not to be a mechanic. As much as I would like to do that, it's not my thing. And my gift is not to be a carpenter. My gift is right here in the house of God to be a herald of good news and to preach the word. And if I do that, it's going to be a blessing to you. But if I need a mechanic, I can't preach a sermon to that car. I need somebody with a gift. If I need a house built, I need somebody with a gift. And you know, the Bible said that God anointed carpenters. In the book of Exodus, we read that God said, Call uh, Benaiah, for he has been anointed as a carpenter. Listen. 
When you are operating in the gifts and abilities that God has given you, you have been anointed by God to prosper in that area. And when you flow in the gift of God, whether it be mechanics or carpentry or law enforcement or cooking or whatever it is that God has gifted you to do, you can do it in a way nobody else can. And all I have to say this morning is thank the Lord for some anointed cooks in the house that know how to, how to take a little bit of, of something and make it a whole lot. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about God has given you the power to prosper. Say amen. It's God who gives you health, strength. And opportunity. The Lord gives you a power to prosper every day when he gives you health and when he gives you strength. So don't ever forget it. When people honor you and they say, wow, you're good, you're good at what you do, you remind them, it's God who gave it to me. This is the gift of God. And it's God's time I'm living. It's God's air I'm breathing. And it's God that gives us the power to take that opportunity every day to make something useful of the time that he has given us. It is God who gives us the opportunities, who opens doors for us, who creates in our lives opportunities to excel and to do greater things. When you see a door open in your life for a new job or a promotion, don't think, man, I must be really cool. I must really got it together. Maybe you do, but the fact is it's God that opened that door. And if God had not opened that door, that door couldn't open. But when that door opens, bless the Lord and give him thanks because it is the Lord who gives you the power to prosper. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, pardon, chapter 10 and verse 9, it says, It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. What does that mean? That means when God blesses you, it's good. You know, there are some things we think are blessings that turn out to be curses in our life. They turn out to be burdens around us. But when God blesses you, it is a good thing. It doesn't bring a burden, but it brings a benefit to your life. Now, I want to share with you some principles of prosperity from the Word of God. Because these principles, if you will apply them, you will find that they are the key for prosperity and the ability to be blessed in every area of your life. Before I give you these principles, I just want to challenge some part of our thinking. Whereas at times we think that God can't bless us. That God doesn't want us to prosper. We think that God doesn't want us to see good things in our life. Friend, I want you to put that thinking aside. God has no second-class children. Every single person who obeys the Word of God can see the blessing of God in every area of their life. Say amen if you believe that. Say, I'm a first-class citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, don't you feel good about that? You don't have a second-class ticket. Everything God has promised in his word belongs to you. It is yours by right of inheritance. It is yours because of the covenant that you have with God. And if you will honor God's word and God's principles, you'll see it flourish in your life. Principle number one, are you ready? Put God first. Say that with me. Put God first. God is zealous for first place. God will never take second place in our life. If I say, Lord, I'm going to have to have you take second place, he'll say, Isaac, I'm not going on this trip. I'm only going to go if I'm first. God must be first in your life. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. When you put God first, when you seek God first, God says, I'll take care of the rest. 
You see, many times in our, in our broken nature, we think, I'll take care of everything else, and if I have time, I'll give it to God. God says, no, you put me first, and I'll make sure that everything else works out in your life and for your benefit. When you and I put God first, we're being put to a test. Every time you put God first, you're passing the test. And every time you don't put God first, you're failing the test. What kind of test is it? It's a test of your loyalty to God, a test of your priorities, and a test of your love. When you and I put God first, we're saying to God, God, you are the priority, number one priority in my life. When we put God first, we're saying, God, I am loyal to you and to no one else first. I will do what you say before I do any other man's will. When we put God first, we're saying, God, I love you above all other things. And when you do that, God doesn't mind what you have after that. If you have a nice house or a nice car, it doesn't bother God. So long as he be first place in that house and first place in that car. And you know, there have been people who have, who have loved their things so much that they have abandoned God. I want you to know that as you continue to put God first, God says, I'll meet every need and I'll bring your desires to pass in your life because that's the kind of God that he is. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Principle number two, the tithe. Say that with me, the tithe. You know, that what is the tithe? The tithe is the first 10% of all of your income or your increase. Which is it? The first 10%. It's not the second 10%. It's not the last 10%. It's the first 10%. What is the tithe? Well, in Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30, the Bible says, Thus all the tithe of the land and all the seed of the land or of the first fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Your tithe is holy unto God. Listen, nobody in here would come up on this altar to cuss. Why? Because it's holy unto the Lord. And I wouldn't stand in here and drink a Dr. Pepper in the pulpit either. Why? Because it's holy unto the Lord. And you wouldn't put your hand on a Bible and lie. Why? Because it's holy unto the Lord. In the same way that these things are holy unto God, God says, the tithe is holy unto me. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. So we do not give God our tithe. We bring God the tithe. We're saying to him, Lord, I'm bringing to you what is yours. Listen, if I lend you my car, I give you my car keys, you take it for a few days, you come back, you say, Pastor Isaac, I want to give you a gift. And you give me back my car keys. You haven't given me anything. You simply return to me what was mine. That's what we're doing when we tithe. We're returning to God what is his. And so the book of Malachi tells us to bring the, the whole tithe into the storehouse. What happens when you tithe? When you tithe, something happens in the spirit world. Something happens in the supernatural. You see, money, because of the fall, has a spirit on it. Money has on it, according to Luke chapter 16, the spirit of mammon. Jesus said in Luke 16, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon. The spirit of mammon has a message. And the message of mammon is this. Money is everything. You'll never do anything right or, or good without money. You have to have money, more money, and more money after that. That's the spirit of mammon. It's always telling you that your needs are met by money. But here's the thing. When you bring your tithe to the Lord, the tithe breaks the power of mammon off of your money. 
And now your money is no longer under the spirit of mammon, but it is under the blessing of God for your life and for your family. Say amen, somebody. So when you and I tithe, we are breaking that spirit of greed and of, and of, of, of money and lack. And we're saying, my source is not money. My source is God. My source is the Lord God of heaven, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Say amen, somebody. You and I have a God who owns all things. And when we bring the tithe, we're recognizing, Lord, everything belongs to you. But you've asked for this 10%, and I'm bringing it to you. When I was growing up, I was taught to tithe. And as a little boy, you know, back in the day when I was a, a, a preacher's kid, people would give me a quarter or a 50-cent piece. That was big money back then. And, um, and I would tithe on that. And so tithing has never been a problem for me because my whole life I've been giving God the first 10% of my income. And when it was almost nothing, then the tithe was almost nothing. But see, the tithe is proportional. So as God has blessed me, my tithe has increased. And it hasn't hurt me any more now than it ever did. Why? Because I have learned to put God first and to honor God. And I have seen God meet every single need in my life. In an extraordinary way, he is provided in moments of great need. And in moments when I was um, in a pinch, he's been able to not only bring me out, but to bring me up and to bring me over. But not everybody was raised that way. I understand that. And so some of you might struggle with the tithe. You might struggle with the thought that giving away 10% of your wealth to God is going to make you uh, unable to meet your, make ends meet. Can I tell you, friend? That when you begin to honor God, God will make ends meet for your life. And he'll do more than that. But you see, if you struggle with that, sometimes people do. They say, Pastor, is it okay if I just give 5% as my tithe? Well, I could say yes or no, but really it's not up to me. It's God who made that decision. Somebody says, Pastor, you know, I'm really in a financial strait right now. Can I just use the tithe for that? I say, look, it's not mine. It's God's. I can't tell you what to do with that. And I personally tithe uh, on, on what I receive, but not to, the, to Kingsway Church. I tithe to our uh, organization, our denomination, our mother church. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that the, the lesser tithes to the greater. So the member of the church tithes to the house of God, to the storehouse. Because that's where you're being fed. And that's where you're being nourished. And so if you're being fed and nourished here, then you tithe here. I tithe upward. Because if I tithe back to myself, that's not going to bring any blessing. I've got to tithe to something greater than myself. And when you tithe to Kingsway Church, if this is the house that God is blessing you in and that God is, uh, is uh, uh, feeding you spiritually, you bring your tithe here, you're not tithing to me. You're not tithing to the church. You're tithing to God. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he who now receives the tithe bears witness that he lives forever. It's not talking about Pastor Isaac. It's talking about Pastor Jesus. It's Jesus that receives your tithe every Sunday when you bring it to the altar and you give it to him. You're saying to the great high priest, I am in covenant with God. And God says, very well then, I'm going to open up the blessings of heaven over your life. Now you see, there are great benefits that come from tithing. I've mentioned the first one about the breaking the power of mammon. But you realize that when you tithe, God says, I'll do three things. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that there are, there are plagues and there are things that can devour your money. And they can come into your life 
in a moment. And God says, before they even get into the neighborhood, if you're a tither, I will stop that plague from entering even the neighborhood so that it doesn't touch your life or your finances. Now, I don't know. It didn't sound like you guys believe that, but I believe that. I believe God will rebuke the devourer for the sake of the tither. And I believe it so well. I've seen it. I've seen God do it in my life. God wants to do that in your life. The second blessing of the tithe is that when you tithe, God says, I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour out a blessing such as you will not have room enough to receive. Listen, when God says, I will open the windows of heaven, that word window literally means opportunity. God says, when you tithe, I will give you opportunities. How many of you could use an opportunity this week? I mean, you need a job, so you need an opportunity. You need a raise and pay, that's an an opportunity. God says, if you tithe, I will make sure you have opportunities in your life. That I will open the windows of heaven. And then he says, and then the nations will see you, and they will desire you. What is God saying there? He's not saying that people will envy you because of the blessing of God. They might, but that's their own problem. God is saying, when he blesses his people... People will realize it and recognize it and say, this was God that did this. And they'll want God to do it in their life too. And so I want you to get ready because God is going to be doing some things in your lives. You're going to be tasting the grapes. You're going to be walking in the blessing of God as you walk in the principles of God. And people are going to watch you prosper. And they're going to say, whoa, what happened to you? You're working at the same place. You still have the same wife or the same husband. You still have the same number of kids. What happened to you? You just tell them, it is the Lord that gives me the power to create wealth. It is the Lord that meets every one of my needs and provides those things that I desire. Say amen, somebody. Principle number three is offerings. Say offerings. What is an offering? An offering is when you bring God something above the tithe. Some of you just passed out right there. So, oh, my goodness. 10% plus some. God says when you take that 90% that's left, it's blessed. It's got multiplication power on it. And when you take some of that and you sow it as a seed into the kingdom of God, God says, I am going to bless that seed. He said, I will give your seed a 30, 60, and 100-fold return. God says, I'll bless your socks off when you learn how to give to me. Why is giving so important? Because God is a giver. You realize that? God is a giver. You know that when when God gave us Jesus, he gave us the entire bank account of heaven. He gave us the whole enchilada when he gave us Jesus. And so because God is a giver, he's made us givers. He's made us as his sons and daughters generous, desirous of being able to help people in their hour of need. And you and I as givers are being a part of a level of of, uh, understanding and and revelation that God has given for people who want to walk on that level. You see, the Bible says that he will give bread to the eater and seed to the sower. That means there are two levels that you can live on. There's the level of the eater and there's the level of the sower. What is the eater? The eater is just simply someone that wants to get by and all they want is God to give them their daily bread. They say, God, I don't care about increase. I just want to eat today. And if you want to live on that level, God says, I'll I'll help you live on that level. But there's another level. How many of you would like to go to another level? The next level is a sower. He says he'll give bread to the eater. 
But you see, when you eat a, a slice of bread, it's gone. He says, however, there's another level, the level of the sower. And when you sow seed, that seed isn't gone. It's going to bring a harvest into your life. This is what I have learned, that the sower receives bread and seed. And there is a continuous supply of provision in your life when you become a sower. Because you are agreeing with God that he is able to multiply your seed and to make it prosper in your hands. And so I want to encourage you to be a giver. Where do you give your offerings? Well, you give your offerings wherever the Lord leads you to give them. You know, there are different kinds of offerings. One offering is called an alms offering. The Bible says this, he who, gi he who gives to the poor lends to God. How many of you would like to lend to God? God says when you give to the poor, you're going to lend to God. But when you lend to God, you're just going to get back what you lent him. There's another level, though. He says that when you and I sow into the kingdom of God, when we do kingdom business with our offerings, he says you'll have 30, 60, and 100-fold return. He says, I'll make it so that you can keep sowing, so that you can keep giving. And, you know, I've watched you guys. I've, I've, I've been watching families in this church, and I am amazed because I see that you keep giving to God. And you know, the enemy might tell you, why do you keep giving? You just tell because I can. I say, because I can. What does that mean? If I can keep giving, it's because God keeps blessing. God keeps honoring his promise to my life. Now there's one last thing. This is principle number four. Get out of debt and stay out of debt. Say that with me. Get out of debt, stay out of debt. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Now, this is going to be a challenge for some of you this morning, but if you'll receive God's word, it'll set you free. Listen, the borrower is servant to the lender. In another place, the Bible says, owe no man anything except to love him. Can you imagine what would happen in your finances if the only debt you had was your mortgage? What if everything else you owned? You know, we have a debt culture in America. I've been in homes where the living room was owed to somebody over in downtown, and the refrigerator was owned by somebody else. The bank owed everything. The bank owned the house, the cars, the appliances. They had nothing. They have all these things, but none of it belongs to them. And then at the end of the month, they're struggling to make ends meet. And they get into fights. Well, if we hadn't bought that leather couch that you wanted, and she said, well, if we hadn't bought that lawnmower that you wanted that you never use, and there's that friction that debt produces in a home. Why? Because we have a culture of instant gratification in this country. And we think if I need a new couch, I need it now. I can't wait till I have the money cash. I've got to have it now. Anyway, if I go down the street, they'll give me 30 days, same as cash, or 90 days, same as cash. You get into debt, and debt becomes your, your master, and you become its slave. And debt is a terrible master. Debt will bring you down. It will bring division into your home, into your, into your marriage, and it will bring discord into your spirit. Now, the Bible doesn't say debt is a sin, but it is a big dangerous problem for many people. And right now, America is in such debt as a nation. It's into the trillions of dollars. The average person in America 
Actually, 80% of people in America who turn 65 this year will not have more than $250 in the bank account. Don't you think that's a terrible place to be? To work your whole life and arrive at retirement age and not have more than $250 in the bank. Something's wrong. God says, I have given you the power to prosper. That means that you and I sometimes have to learn to say, no, not yet. I might like that thing, I might like that item, but I can wait until I can buy it cash. When you learn to live that way, you're depending not on debt, but on God. And I, I promise you that freedom from debt will bring joy back into some of your finances and some of your life. You say, Pastor Isaac, I don't even know where to begin to get out of debt. Listen, God will teach you. And if you'll come to our Financial Peace University class that we have here in, the, in, in church, Dave Ramsey will teach you too. And if you want, sit down with me and I'll teach you. But I want you to know that God has better things for you than to be a slave to debt. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to increase. He wants you to know his goodness and his freedom. To, to be able to sleep at night without wondering how are we going to pay these bills. I'm going to close with this story. One day here at the church, a couple walked in. They looked like they were in a rather desperate situation. He said to me, Pastor Isaac, we need some food back. We're hungry. I said, all right, what's going on? What brought you into this situation? He said, well, we needed to pay off our, our uh, leather uh, furniture set or they were going to repossess it. So I took $600 over there and make sure they didn't repossess the couch. And now we're hungry. And I thought, what madness? What madness? You had $600, but you gave it to a slave owner because you didn't want to let go of these earthly temporal possessions. Listen, friends, we need to stop buying things we can't afford to impress people we don't even like. That's got to stop. We've got to start living for God and living for our own family. Say amen, somebody. When you spend on what you want and beg for what you need, something's wrong. God says, I have a better plan for you. I have a higher way for you. I want you to open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I want to read to you what God says about you. And then I'm going to make an altar call. Who gives you power to create wealth? Who is it? It is the Lord that gives you the power to create wealth. Listen, Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 14. I want you to see this with your own eyes if you can. Verse 11, pardon me. It says, the Lord will make you abound in prosperity. In the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your beast and in the produce of your ground, and in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you the good storehouse, the heavens, and will give rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will only be above and not underneath. If you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them and do them carefully. 
And do not turn aside from any word which I have commanded you today, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods or to serve them. Do you hear what God is saying there? Does that sound good? God says, I will prosper you. I will open the windows of heaven. I will cause rain in due season. And you will be a blessing to other people. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I want to ask a few questions this morning. And if they apply to you, I want you just to raise your hand right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're just going to pray together. Every head bowed. Praise God. This morning, if you say, Pastor Isaac, I have not put God first in every area of my life. And I am reaping the consequences of that. But this morning, I'm ready to change. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I see you there. Amen. Second question to you, you would say, Pastor Isaac, there are some family issues that I need to resolve where I haven't done quite right and I need more wisdom from God so that I can have prosperity in my home. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen. I see you. If you say, Pastor Isaac, I have sinned against God with ingratitude, forgetting to thank him. Instead, I filled my mouth with complaining. But today I want to become a grateful person and return my heart in gratitude to God. Would you raise your hand if that's you? I see you there. You say, Pastor Isaac, I haven't honored God in my tithe and in my offerings. But I'm going to do that from this day forward as God gives me the wisdom and the grace to do so. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Amen. I see you there. Now, if you'd say, Pastor Isaac, I've been obeying God in these areas of my life, but I need a financial breakthrough. I need God to take me to a new level. I want to be a greater sower than I've been. I want to do greater things than I've done. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Amen. If you say, Pastor Isaac, I need capital for a new business so that I could build a business that honors God, would you raise your hand if that's you? You say, one more, Pastor Isaac, I want to get out of debt and stay out of debt. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen. Now, every person who raised their hand, I'm going to ask you to come into this altar. For whatever reason that you need to, you just come into this altar if you raised your hand. And just turn your heart toward God and say, Lord, I trust you. It's you who gives me the power to prosper. It's you who gives me the ability to provide for my family, to get out of debt, to walk in financial freedom. And maybe this morning you say, Pastor, my problem is not financial, but I need God to bring a breakthrough into my life. Would you come into this altar as well? The elders are going to pray for you in just a minute. They're going to lay hands on you as a sign of God's presence in your life, as a point of contact. Because the Lord is saying to you today, I have heard the desire of your heart. 
And because you desire to please me, I'm going to give you the power to come up, to come out, and to come over. You will taste the grapes. You will enjoy my goodness. You will see the prosperity of God in the land of the living. Father, in the name of Jesus, we as your children this morning come into this altar. First of all, to acknowledge that everything belongs to you and that every good thing that we have has come from you. We acknowledge this morning that if it were not for you, we would have despaired and given up a long time ago. But this morning we acknowledge as well that your word on finances is a good word and we want to honor it. We want to discipline our hearts and our minds to obey the word of God as the Spirit of the Lord gives us the power and the grace to do so. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a release of the anointing of the Spirit upon the minds of your people. I pray right now that the spirit of poverty would be broken. That spirit that thinks that they can't, that they'll never have enough. I resist it in the name of Jesus. We are children of the Most High God. We belong to the kingdom of God, and every promise of God belongs to us by faith. Now just open your mouth and start talking to the Lord this morning.